Welcome to episode 9 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan, and with me, as they always are, uh, Ginny Wu. Hey, how's it going? And Andrew Brown. Hello! And what have you guys been up to this week? Um, I've been suffering through Sonic Forces. <laughs> suffering, you say? And playing a lot of Stardew Valley um, as therapy. <laughs> I have been playing uh, Cat Quest and Octodad. And the Mummy Demastered, but we'll talk about that in a bit. And I spent much of the week binge-watching Stranger Things 2 and playing heaps of Switch games, which is cool. Yay. So let's let's check out the updates from last week. I gather that off my uh, lukewarm to middling recommendation, you picked up Moon Hunters, Ginny? Yeah, I did. Um, I actually am really enjoying it, despite your sort of average recommendation of it. Um, <laughs> I think I'm just really into the whole, like mythology aspect and how um often games that have that mechanic whereby you sort of you know you die repeatedly and then that sort of influences the outcomes in the game i like how they worked that mechanic into moon hunters um i think the different tribes and characters are really great and i love all the music from it so it's a game that i kind of pick up and play when i've got like about half an hour to 45 minutes of just time to sort of do something it's a nice break um the playthroughs don't take particularly long so it's a good game to chill out to, I think. So I'm enjoying it from that aspect. Yeah, I did about four playthroughs. I'm probably not going to go back to it, but yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, we also had a, a lovely message. Actually, you got this one, didn't you, Ginny? So yeah, you wanna... I did. So um, so we're just going to give a shout out to Leo Pop. Uh, we received a message from Leo Pop's dad telling us that Leo really likes our podcast because we apparently speak in really calm voices and we're his favorite podcast to listen to before bed. So um, thanks for tuning in every week, Leo, and thanks to all our other young listeners out there who are supporting us and listening to our, to our podcast. It's really cool to get feedback like that, I think, from parents. Yeah, it's really nice as long as he didn't mean that we sent him to sleep. <laughs> I was going to say, a bit of a double-edged compliment there, but I'll take it, I'll take it. I would be very honoured to have that ability. <laughs> Just to put people <laughs> to bed instantly. Go to sleep. Now I'm stealing your stuff. <laughs> it would also be good on cats when they wake you up at two in the morning. So I'd like to have that ability, yeah. Okay, so the mummy demastered. You had some endgame thoughts on this one, I believe, Andrew. Yes, when I was talking about it last week, I was still in the first half of the game. And... I played it more over the last weekend after we got done recording that episode. And I talked about the death mechanic, how every time your character dies, uh, he's resurrected as a zombie and you have to take a new Marine who starts from your last save point and go and kill your zombified corpse to get all your stuff back, which is an interesting idea for a resurrection mechanic, except I died in a tunnel right near the final boss and I cannot get back to my corpse I can't even I can't reach the place where I died again because when you start off with the new marine he has basic equipment the basic gun and he has one life bar whereas my other guy who died had like seven that I ran through before I finally died so I'm having to get through the same stuff that I went through that killed me before using the weakest gun in the game using one life bar and I can't find any way alternate way around it I'm basically completely screwed I have to start the entire game over from scratch and I am not pleased at all Ouch. yeah so d d there's either something that I'm missing here like I can go someplace else to get my equipment or y the game needs to come with a stamp at least from me that this is a hard game if you're trying to get absolutely everything as I was trying to do. So just a forewarning in advance that you might run into this problem. Now, I'm hoping you guys can help me with something of a dilemma. You buy the physical version. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me cover the premise first. So, L.A. Noir, we recently had the news that regardless of whether you go digital or physical, you're in for a bit of a hefty download. It's something like 27 gigabytes all up if you go digital, but you still have to download 14 gigabytes if you're opting for the physical copy, which I have no problem with in, in concept. Uh, now, we've talked before about how both the shows Andrews have weird rules when it comes to buying physical games. 
uh, Andrew operates on price points, whereas I have a weird OCD-like rule about what I buy physical and what I buy digital. So if it's a game that I'll be dipping in and out of in short bursts, things like Splatoon 2, Pokken, and would therefore find it a pain to keep switching out the carts for the for whatever my main game is at the time, I'll I'll tend to go digital to avoid that. If it's a longish story or single player game uh, that I'm likely to be keeping in my console for quite a while, and it's a thing I'd like to collect, then I tend to go physical. So Zelda, Odyssey, Mario Cross Rabbit, Skyrim, Doom, all these games fit into that category for me, and so would LA Noir under usual circumstances. But because here I'd have to I'd have to download 14 gig, it sort of makes owning the cartridge feel like a bit of a lie, and I have a weird thing where that stresses me out a little. So yeah, I know I'm weird. But it makes me consider just getting it digitally instead to avoid that. But then I'm doubling the space I'd lose on my SD card, which then also stresses me. And at the moment, I'm leaning towards owning the physical copy, or at least owning the physical lie. But it's out in two days, and I'm still not 100% sure which way I'm going to go on that. Help! Well, if you're worried about the SD card space, I would just buy the physical one. Um... If you're, if you don't like, basically, which one hurts you more, losing the SD space or the lie that you perceive the physical purchase to be? Yeah, I'm going the physical version on LA Noir because I am worried about the SD card space. Uh, I do have the largest SD card that you can get without breaking the bank, and I want to extend the life of that one as long as I can. So the physical one is an obvious choice for me, just because. 14 gigabytes versus 28 gigabytes is pretty easy math to do. Uh, But this speaks to a wider issue, uh, which we've talked about on the podcast in the past, where just the the price on these cards, especially the larger ones, is outside the range of viability for the games to be profitable for the publisher. Uh, If uh, they wanted to buy the cards big enough for the entire game to fit on... Rockstar would probably have to charge a full $60 just to turn a profit on them. So I'm sympathetic to where they're at, and I I completely agree. It feels like a lie, because you're buying a physical, but it still has a required digital download. What is the difference between that and just downloading it, ex- excluding the SD card space? And we're seeing this in a lot of other things, like uh, you can buy quote-unquote physical copies of Cuphead in store, but they're not physical copies of Cuphead. They are boxes with a download with the code, code in it. Yeah. yeah. And that's not the same thing. So this speaks to a wider issue than just whether it's worth it to get physical or digital. We are looking right now with L.A. Noir as a great example of the death, the ensuing death of physical media, which I am, as I have expressed on the podcast in the past, I'm not real excited about. Yeah, I'm, I'm t- torn in terms of what hurts me more the the SD card space or the the lie of just having a pass that enables me to play the game I don't know I'll I'll have to make my mind up on Tuesday when the game releases I guess yeah just you gotta keep in mind with LA Noir if you're gonna buy a physical copy years down the road and the Nintendo eShop doesn't exist anymore that card is gonna get you nothing so I'm kind of actually from that perspective why does the physical version exist at all just release it digital only Now let's move on to the latest Switch news. So first up we have the news that Bando Namkai have uh, three Switch exclusive in the works now that they're a little more convinced about the console's commercial viability. Uh, Any guesses to what those might be? I think it's going to be a Nino Kuni game. Um, Just because I feel like they want to hit the market with um, a franchise that people already know. And I think the trend had on the market really has been with a lot of these third-party publishers, games that are JRPGs, those have done really well, games like I Am Setsuna, um, and others that Square Enix is interested in, like Project Octopath is going to be generating a lot of buzz and heat, so I can see why they'd want Nino Kuni on there. But the other two, I'm not sure. What do you reckon, Andy? Uh, well, I, I definitely love a unique Nino Kuni game. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if Sony have that tied up in licensing or anything. I know there was rumours of a an Xbox One version of, of Nino Kuni 2. Who knows? But I'd love just to see some level 5 stuff on there, I think. Um, they do some great RPGs or even just some of their experimental stuff, like maybe similar 
in vain to Attack of the Friday Monsters. I was also secretly hoping for the Little Witch Academia game to come to Switch because that show oh, is yeah. my favourite thing of, of all things in 2017. Um, but in terms of exclusives, I, no, I haven't got the foggiest. Well, I mean, it could be Tekken. I don't know if that would be an exclusive, but I can see why they want another fighting game on there. Like, I can see the, I can see room being made on the eShop for Tekken or Injustice. Not that I personally play them, but um, I can see how that would be commercially viable. Bandai Namco, that's like the company that makes Beyblades, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know them as a toy company. I, I couldn't say. I, I, I literally, I don't know any games that Bandai Namco has made that I want ported. So, I, no, no comment. Uh, next up we have... Uh, there's been a Phoenix Wright title announced for the Switch. Um, yeah, there has been. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. Um, maybe an Apollo Justice spin-off, as one of my mates thought. Or it could be a port. Um, depends on whether we think that we're going to get a full flagship Phoenix Wright title for the Switch. Um, I think a port of Door Destinies isn't too far-fetched. It is probably one of the more accessible Phoenix Wright titles, and it's still fairly fresh in that it probably would wouldn't be a downgrade in terms of graphic quality. I mean, they're all 3DS games anyway, right? So whatever we port is going to look much better, and it could be, I guess, their way of testing the waters before they put out a flagship Phoenix Wright one. But I'm not sure. I mean, I'll buy anything. I buy, I'll buy anything Phoenix Wright related, so whatever it is, I'm going to purchase it. <laughs> yeah, I only just recently played the first three games on 3DS. How are you liking it? I finished the trilogy now, so that yeah. that was interesting. It's a bit mm. of a roller coaster. So yeah. I came in, I came in coming from like Danganronpa first. Oh uh, yeah. Into Phoenix Wright. Now I love Danganronpa. So I found mm. Phoenix Wright a little bit treacly to get through at times. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's a bit more slow, and methodical. And mm. um, I enjoyed the first one. The second one I hated because the <laughs> leaps in logic in those cases is just ridiculous and stuff that no one in their right mind would think of. Yep. Uh, and then the third one was just pitch perfect. I really like that one. Um, but none of them as much as I like Danganronpa. I'm, I'm comparing a newer series with an older series, so it's, it's a little unfair. But yeah, that, that's where I'm with that. I, I did buy the two other ones that are available on 3DS, so I'll get to them at some stage. But mm. yeah, I'd, I'd be down for this, I think. I see just yet another port of the original trilogy being most likely just looking at what yeah. Capcom has already done on the platform, they're going to go for the safe choice. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll get lucky and they'll go a little broader than that and they'll release all the Phoenix Wright games as a complete package. That would be pretty cool. But, yeah, yeah uh, I'm not expecting anything too exciting. Uh, I think the wildest thing I can come up with is a sequel to Layton versus Phoenix. Oh, uh, actually... I don't know if they would consider this, oh well, I guess it isn't a latent game that they're announcing. And this might be slightly off topic, but I think on that note, I would like to see that Catriel latent game on the Switch, I think. That would be quite nice. Yeah, give more people a chance to play it. Yeah, exactly. The streaming app Hulu is now available on the US eShop. Uh, definitely not out over here. Yeah. Uh, maybe other regions are going to follow now with Netflix and the like. Any thoughts? Again, I have no interest as in using the Switch as a streaming device. Yeah, I don't care about that either. I mean, I've got a laptop, a mobile phone. I don't need to watch stuff on the Switch at all to be happy. But, um, I mean, if that gets more if that gets more people to buy the console or, you know, gets them into it because they're like, oh, this is convenient, I'm all for it. And lastly, Battle Chef Brigade launches on November 20th from Adults from Games. Now, I didn't really have an interest in this. My wife does, because she likes uh, Iron Chef and all that sort of stuff. You you two were excited for this, right? So pumped. I am so excited. I cannot wait. Um, you hunt but... dragons, and then you cook them and devour exactly. them. What is... How can you not be excited for this game? It's the, the cooking aspect. The I cooking is what makes me so excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> It looks good, though. I think it looks incredibly dramatic and over-the-top, which is what I love um, when it comes to anything um, of that sort. I think the premise-wise, it will be like Anime Iron Chef, and I am totally down with that. So that will be occupying my week when it does come out, and, and I'm sure there'll be times for me to do min-max-wise. And I think we covered not long ago that you can cook all recipes, I guess most recipes that are meat-based, 
you can make like vegan or a vegetarian version of it which some people might think could be like an extra layer of challenge or something um overall i'm just excited i can't wait to actually play and get my hands on it and feel what it actually is like so i anticipate good reviews for it on my end now let's move on to this week's releases So we have a first for the Switch, Farming Simulator, yeah. Maria the Witch, which looks like a cute platformy, endless flying game, uh, priced at under ten dollar dues over here. I swear that's Kiki's delivery service, the video game. It is a little it bit like, like that, it. yeah, from the summary. We have Koi, a fish chilling out in a pond simulator, Talamir, which looks like a side-scrolling magic map. We also have Spellspire, which is a spelling wizardry game that looks a bit like um, Bookworm Adventures by PopCap. Reminded me of LetterQuest actually looking at the interface I suspect it's from the same developer. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, we also have the updated version of Snipperclips, Cut It Out Together. You've played the demo, have you Andrew? Yeah, launch day of the Switch since Amazon messed up my Zelda delivery order. I spent as much time <laughs> playing everything else on the Switch that I could. So a friend of mine and I played the Snipperclips demo. It's a unique game. <laughs> uh, and I'm happy to see that it was popular enough to warrant a physical version as well as an update. So that's that's pretty exciting for them. Good for them. I, I bought it and played a couple of hours with the misses, but we haven't gone back since release date because mm. Breath of the Wild, basically. Mm. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> also, we have... Also, we have Rockin' Racing Off-Road DX, uh, more Neo Geo games, uh, Street Hoop. We have the first Ben 10 game on Switch, Cartoon Network show about a kid with superpowers, Super Putty Squad, Nurse has been out on other consoles for a while, finally hit Switch, Uno, which I understand has similar problems to Monopoly from the other week. Hmm. And now we're getting into the ones we've, we've played, so we've got Octodad, Dadliest Catch, which Andrew's been playing. Yeah, I played it, and uh, well, it's a $15 US game, which means I guess in Australia or New Zealand it would probably be closer to 20 And it's a two-hour game, so if that's a factor for you, you're, you're now forewarned. But it's just so absurd and so charming that I, just, I couldn't not love it. Because it, it's one of those games built around physics and built around a really complicated control scheme and everybody probably already knows this because Octodad's been out for years and everybody's already played it but I'm going to continue on anyway uh, but like you know like games like Quop, the, the running game Quop and oh, like, yeah. like Surgeon Simulator where the controls are just so convoluted that it's like unintentionally hilarious all the hijinks you get into I, I looked at Oco, Octodad as in that vein of game because you have to control Octodad's legs independently and one of his tentacles all <laughs> at the same time. And I just kind of looked at it as, okay, what if we took one of these absurd physics-based games, but there was actually a good reason that the character moves so awkwardly. It's not just the player's ineptitude at the controls. It's because the player character is an octopus pretending to be a person. <laughs> it looks a lot like a uh, goat simulator. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the wackiness. It, it, it's not as absurd as goat simulator, and yet it also is because you're playing as an octopus who has a wife and has human children, <laughs> and the <laughs> mind bomb of this does come up in the game. <laughs> Uh, if if you need just something to make you feel delighted, if you're having a bad day, Octodad, top of the list, pick it up. Also out is uh, Cat Quest, which again Andrew's been playing. I think Ginny's played it before. Yeah. I'm super interested, but as an RPG with cats, I think it's the ideal game for my wife. So tell us a bit about that one. Um, so. Cat Quest is, as you very handily put it, an RPG with cats. Um, it's the kind of game that is perfect for the console. <laughs> um, and uh. no, it just it just plays great. Um, it handled great on the PC. Um, it handles great on the Switch as well. I think it feels a little more responsive on the Switch, just by nature of having the analog sticks um, as your movement controls. It just kind of feels snappier. Um, long story short, you're sort of like the chosen cat, and um, you've got to go around the world saving other cats, cat. <laughs> saving other cats from certain doom, and fighting 
fantastical beasts like dragons and whatnot. So the combat feels a little bit like Diablo in terms of speed and pacing, I would say. Um, lots of dodge rolling um, if you're not adept at running away in the direction quick enough. And lots of different kinds of spells to use that look pretty cool as you level them up. Um, it's not a difficult game, I, I wouldn't say, but it's full of lots of pop culture easter eggs and stuff. It's just a fun, light-hearted game to play. Like if you've, you know, just sort of pumped through 10 hours of Doom or 10 hours of Skyrim or something else that's quite big, you might just want something a bit less meaty. And I mean, the music's nice. Everything sort of fits together very well. It's like a, it's like a good palate cleansing game, I would say. And it's not very expensive at all. So I think your wife would love it, Andy. Yeah, what, what I've, I've only played about two hours of it, but what I've played of it is incredibly solid. Uh, like like Jenny said, it plays a lot like Diablo, where you're running around the world and you run into caves and you loot the caves and then you run back to town and you get your next quest. And that's basically the whole uh, gameplay loop, regardless of what you're whether you're following the main story or the side quests, uh, mm-hmm. which I have not been having a great deal of success telling the difference between the two but that's not really mattering because it's just fun to do either one but what i really enjoy is how it actually does equipment is uh i hate it when rpgs just bury you in new equipment and most of it's garbage that you're just supposed to sell what cat quest does was if you get an identical item that you've already had before it'll actually power up that item a little bit so that way you're not just getting garbage that you just have to deal with it it makes it so that way everything you do even if you already get something you already have feels like you're developing yourself forward at least a little bit so it really respects your time in that way and i appreciate that okay i think i'm sold i want in yay mission accomplished uh next up is sonic forces which is probably the worst of two Sonic games this year, as I understand it. Is that right, Ginny? Um, this pains me to say, because I'm unabashedly a Sonic fan. Um, I think at my funeral, as they lower my coffin into the ground, I want them to play Escape from the City from Sonic Adventures 2 as a send-off. Um, that's how much I like Sonic. <laughs> and that's only half a joke, honestly, about the funeral thing. But that aside, I am... A huge Sonic fan and so Sonic Mania hit all the right notes for me nostalgia wise and I was hoping that Sonic Forces would have that same impact in terms of drawing inspiration from other 3D Sonic Adventure games like Sonic Adventure 2 um, but it just kind of fell really flat um, in terms of what the premise of the game is it's kind of like Dragon Ball Z Universe 2 right so you build a self-insert Sonic character, which could look crazy, um, depending on what you pick. I think mine had um, two toes that were very fleshy and human looking, which was very bizarre. And I've seen people make their Sonic OCs look like Busby. So um, basically you build yourself a hedgehog person and you go through some levels with Sonic and the mates. Um, You've got regular platforming sequences that look like the old GBA Sonic platform sequences, or at least are familiar maps, but mechanically it feels too slow to be a Sonic game. For a game about going really fast, you don't go really that fast at all um, in Sonic Forces platforming sections. It's got some sections that are really, really over the top and dramatic um, without spoiling it too much. You're sort of like running through space and time and getting lasers thrown at you. So it's got that sort of titular Sonic what the, what the hell is going on sort of moments, um, which I think were too few to carry the rest of the game, just some comedic mastery alone. Um, I couldn't really discern quite what the plot was. I guess we're just getting rid of Dr. Eggman's minions as per usual. But I think it could have delivered a lot more um, if they had just sort of stuck to what they know in terms of the old Sonic 3D games that were like a mix of sort of like grind racing, skating, um, exploration, adventuring that would have kind of worked a bit more. It feels like they, they tried to include too much of the old quote unquote Sonic stuff like the platforming and the 3D elements and it's just everything just kind of feels a bit too slow and too clunky to really be truly Sonic. Um, if you're like an obsessive fan and you must collect every single Sonic title, you'll probably still get some good game time out of this, like it's not unplayable. Um, and I think kids or people that haven't played the old Sonic games probably won't mind 
um, in terms of what the game quality is like currently. It's so definitely playable. It doesn't feel like a nostalgic old Sonic game, or it doesn't feel like Sonic has innovated much either. But if you're new to this franchise, you might like it. It is a little bit pricey to take a chance on, in my opinion. But um, I'm sure there's someone out there that's liked it. Maybe go read a positive review of it or something and see how you feel. <laughs> and last one, the the big AAA release this week was Doom. Now, we were expecting for both me and Andrew to have spent some time with it, but Amazon let you down on another Nintendo product. Is that right, Andrew? It was mostly my fault. I, I was not paying attention to the delivery date which has said it's coming on the 14th for probably several months now. It was my fault for canceling and then reopening my order. (laughs) So uh, I'm not blaming Amazon on this one, but yes, that did happen. Fair enough. Uh, And I will... So I've been playing it. I'm about halfway through. Um, And first of all, I just want to say I freaking love Doom. It is so good. (laughs) Like, when I first booted it up, I booted it up on the, the handheld mode, and it's I had that just like 10 minutes where it was just like I cannot believe this is running on this device looks great runs just like Doom did on the PS4 obviously there's the whole 60 frames per second versus 30 frames per second controversy it's not a controversy come on it it didn't make one iota difference to my enjoyment of it which is cool now when it is docked it does look a little worse it's like a little muddier the, it's just not quite a sharp, basically, but it still plays fine. So you're only really going to notice those things when it's standing still. And if you do that in in this version of Doom, you will die a lot. So you tend not to be stood looking at the environment that that much in it. And um, also, you have the added benefit of playing with the Pro Pad, which is just it feels tailor made for it. I have had a couple of technical issues, so no frame drops yet. But I had a couple of instances where the sound has dropped out and then hasn't come back in until it's checkpointed the next time, hmm. or I've died and it's reloaded. It's not not a massive deal. It's something I imagine they'll patch out in due course. But yeah, it's it's pretty much the Doom you played on another console, but you can play it in handheld, which is 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 kind of amazing. Like, yeah, I just I can't get my head around how they've done it, and it gives me hope for more first-person shooters on the Switch in the future, and I mean, if Wolfenstein 2 looks half as good as this, or plays half as good as this, it's going to be pretty good. We had some feedback on Twitter about this one, so uh, JP Sendless Blue says that Doom is the first time I've played an FPS on a handheld console that ha- and hasn't felt kind of crummy. Even its online multiplayer holds up well as a big console shooter, in my honest opinion. I haven't played the online yet, I probably won't, it's not my thing. And we have Revenue Nim who says that Doom should have kept content with being a 90s legend. Bit harsh, can't agree with that, but hey, to each their own. Have you guys got any questions about this one, or interest um, in this one? I th- not particularly, as I said. Um, I'm a Doom on the PC kind of gal. Um, that's where I like it, and it might stay that way just because it's where my mates play it. But, I mean, I'm really glad that it does look good, and that gives me hope for other FPSs making it making it to the Switch. So it's good that Doom is seeing some success, and that it just looks good and feels good. Have you played with the motion controls at all? Not one iota. Uh, I, I know... I didn't even know they were there. I haven't had anybody confirm that they're not there. Uh, I know that you don't use the pointer for aiming. My understanding is that uh, you can do the glory kills with motion controls, which... Could Ooh. be interesting, <laughs> but okay. I will, I will I will check that out and report back next week. Yeah, same here. Okay. What I did remember after my time with the PS4 version is that there is an option to set the gun position to the center of the screen, a la classic Doom, which for me is the only correct way to play this one. Which I uh, I really like it. It really helps complement the old school gameplay. Mm. So yeah, check that out too. Give it worth a go. Uh, this week we have a developer focus for you. I had a chance to sit down and talk to Michael Heald from Fully Illustrated, who of course made Wolverblade, games which we discussed in episode 6 and 7. Uh, so we're going to roll that now. It's now time for Developer Focus, the segment in which we talk to some of the hottest developers making games for the Nintendo Switch. With me today is Michael Heald of Fully Illustrated, who of course developed the history-laden side-scrolling beat-em-up Wolverblade, which we talked at length about in both episodes 6 and 7. Hi Michael, thanks for joining us, how are you? 
I'm really well, thanks Andy, and thanks for um, well bringing me on the podcast. Much appreciated. Not a problem. Big fan of the game myself. So let's let's start with uh, fully illustrated. So as as I understand it, this is like your storefront for all your work as a designer, um, and the brand under which you manage all your website and UI design work as well. Can you tell us a bit about the company, the things that you do, and because it seems like you wear many hats. Yes, yeah, somewhat. Um, Fully Illustrated is is kind of my um, my commercial name, really. Uh, it's the the name which I operate under. I work uh, generally speaking with independent developers around the world. Uh, I have been doing for about uh, just over ten years now, um, working with all manner of people from that game company, Clay Entertainment, Discord, um, a whole whole bunch of other people that are uh, I've been lucky enough to work with over the years. Um, and yeah, I, I cover a whole a whole bunch of bases. So. Um, I offer a pretty wide selection of services to my clients, uh, from branding uh, to general design, um, UI design, and branding are the main um, kind of core uh, f- uh, services that I offer these days. Um, illustration, obviously, uh, game design, uh, animation, motion graphics, you, pretty much you name it, and I, I, I kind of do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a lot of my customers can come to me for one thing and then they will very often use me for a whole bunch of other things as well so um yeah yeah uh, that's 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 kind of where it all started really i i always wanted to be part of the games industry in one way or another and i started out uh, many moons ago working in illustration and and web design and i brought those uh services to uh, to independent developers and that was my way into the games industry and uh, that's still very much what I do um, day to day and what I absolutely love and it's uh, working with those people that really inspired me to to kind of take the plunge and and, and try to realize my dream and make Wolverblade a, a real thing rather than just a, a little pipe dream in the back of my mind. Obviously you've just mentioned you've had plenty of experience in like the visual design of a number of video games, you've created art, assets developed the uis as we mentioned before is wolverblade the first game you've you've developed and released yourself to this degree uh to this degree yes uh i've worked on a vast number of games in in various different roles from uh, game art to ui and branding to to well just well a a huge number of different games over the years Uh, but this is the first one from beginning to end on anything of any scale uh played around with a few little uh, fun games in the past with friends um but this was the first real undertaking um at, at making making something proper cool so just just for those that might not have seen or experienced wolverblade yet uh, how would you describe it as the developer? Um, I'd say that Wolverblade is a modern-day interpretation of the classic Golden Axe. Um, we, you know, the side-scrolling beat 'em up in general has has kind of disappeared uh, entirely, pretty much, over the years. And my goal, my well, my my dream was to see that genre come back in one way or another, and it never really has done. Um, it died off with the 16-bit era, pretty much. Uh, once 3D graphics came along, it seemed that the old 2D brawler had no place there in the in the eyes of uh the games industry unfortunately and i yearn for that to come back and we've you know we've had a few here and there over the years like scott pilgrim which was fantastic and castle crashers which is you know a a modern day classic um but the 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 genre never got a proper resurgence and i i dreamt of 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 doing that myself one day and that is essentially what wolverblade is so it's a it's an old school side-scrolling beat-em-up uh, along the lines of golden axe and and uh, are in the the modern vein castle crashes um where instead of instead of it just being the old we, we didn't want to just make um a reinterpret what had been done before so what we wanted to do was take um what made the old genre great and then add things into it which brought it more up to date and expanded them a little uh, expanded the expanded the genre a little bit so you know they, they often get the title of button masher um and as many people have now learned you can't button mash your way through wolverblade you have to learn tactics um we expanded the combat engine dramatically by putting in uh, rolls and dodges and counters and heavy attacks heavy weapons um a lot of uh, focus on projectiles and you have to really learn how to block and how to parry um and how to to, to the learn the patterns of your enemies it's not just the old case of just keep battering that button and then battering your magic attack until you've you know you've killed your enemy um so in a, and, and yeah the <laughs> i suppose the biggest differentiator uh visually and surrounding the um 
the background of the game is that it's historically focused rather than fantasy focused so instead of being based in a fantasy world where you're um, saving your girlfriend from the uh, from the big gang boss uh, in this case it's set in real world history so you're uh, set in ancient Britain around 120 AD at the point where Rome has conquered the south and they have their eyes firmly fixed on the north and this is the tale of the northerners and how they managed to retain their freedom from the Romans and uh, were never ever conquered and this is their tale with a bit of fiction as well obviously because there's only so much history available of that period but uh yeah that's it in a nutshell so what was it that drew you to the 120 ad era to set the game in seems pretty unique uh I've, a lot of cases where they cover the sort of the romans it's always done from the romans point of view so this this was like a, a unique side of the story i thought yeah i mean it's it's always been a bit of a bugbear of mine um how rome is i mean everyone knows that you know the roman empire was an incredible thing what it achieved but it was also barbaric um and they ruled with an iron fist and somehow every film in history and every everything really is always always from the roman perspective um which is crazy if when you think about it because there's so many um countries that they went to and and dominated and there must be a million tales um on the other side of those battles rather than the roman side um i've i'm a massive uh ancient history fan ancient british history fan should i say um i got mixed up in in this quite a while back and i've just been obsessed with it ever since and um with wanting to bring side-scrolling beat-em-ups kind of back into the onto the modern stage i thought it's a perfect opportunity to mix that in with with my favorite part of history which is ancient britain and that's really uh where it all stems from it does seem like a perfect fit now just uh, on the game so it's quickly acquired a reputation of being pretty challenging yes <laughs> uh now I, I went through some trials and tribulations myself while going through it. Um, I personally tend to go one way or the other with this this type of challenge. It either drives me or I'll just bomb out. Um, for me, Wolverblade was the former. Like it was tough, but in a way that constantly compelled me to retune those tactics. Excellent. And try and get like try and get like a perfect run to the boss so I could get there with all the lives intact. Um, how have you found the general reaction to the difficulty? It's it's been it's been mixed to be honest. We've had a real um, I wouldn't say fifty fifty. I'd say probably sixty forty split. Sixty uh, percent saying it's too hard, and forty percent saying it's hard but it's just right. Um, like you said, you felt compelled to go back and improve, and that was the intention from the outset. I mean. I actually wanted the game quite a lot harder from the outset, <laughs> would you believe? Um, <laughs> the arcade mode is actually the mode how I originally envisaged Wolverblade being. So three lives, three continues, um, tough as hell, and you've got to get better. Uh, you have to take the abilities that you have and you have to master them. Um, because as you'll know yourself now, as you've made, once you've made it through the game, if you go back to level one now, you will feel like an absolute master as you bash your way through that level. Um, the enemies fall easily, you know your combos, you know your techniques, you know how to block, you know how to counter, and you're, you've really got it, and it makes you feel really powerful when you can do that. Um, and that's how the old arcades used to work. You didn't get handheld through anything. You were thrown straight in there, the game was hard as hell, and you had to get better. And... Um, the, the feedback in general, it's been really interesting to watch um, some people's conversations unfold on Twitter over the space of a week. And at the beginning of the week, they're like, God, this game's so hard. It's, it's too hard. I can't, you know, it's driving me insane. And a couple of days later, they'll be, they'll be speaking to somebody else and the conversation will seem to run on for a while. And then it'll pan out to, oh, I, you know, I made it to level three. I've made it past the level three boss. A couple of days later, oh, finally, I'm at the end of level, I'm at the end of game boss. And then and then by the, by the time a week's up, they're like, I've done it, I've finished it. And the elation you can, you can see in these people's reactions is everything I wanted it to be. Um, we are patching in an easy mode, uh, which is something that people have asked for. I don't, personally love that going in there um, but it's to make it more broadly appealing um my worry is that people will go straight for easy mode get through it too easily and then say that the game's not long enough um <laughs> you can't you can't win that's the the nature of making games i suppose um but we shall see uh, the challenge is where it's intended to be at so um i was gonna ask about the the easy mode that you're patching in actually um how much of that was based on the player feedback or did you always have those elements in mind before the release? Nope, that's 100% player feedback. Um, we 
I, I, I don't want it in there, but you know, this the game isn't just about me. Uh, there's a, there's the rest of the team and their opinions, and obviously, very importantly, the people who play it. And if um, if the difficulty is a barrier, then that's a shame. Um, so we do need an option in there. I, I think what it, from what I can see when I see uh, let's play videos and so on is that a lot of people are approaching Wolverblade as a button masher, like in the old classic sense, one attack button and jump um and a lot of people i'm seeing aren't using blocks and rolls and they aren't using much in the way of air attacks uh, or grapples and it's mainly just attack 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 you will struggle desperately to get through the game in fact you'll be lucky to get off level two using just those those uh, those moves um but you know if people are happy to play like that then it's it would be advantageous for them to have a mode where they can play like that and and enjoy it um, in their own way. I mean, everyone enjoys playing games in different ways. Uh, Zelda, Breath of the Wild, for example, I chose not to fight any of the boss characters. What are they, what are they called? I've forgotten the name now. Like, not the tombs, the... My brain's gone. Um, but the, the big tough bits of the game, I found those really difficult, and I prefer to just explore the game, and I sunk about 40 hours into just walking around, collecting things, riding horses... Um, and picking off easy enemies i really enjoyed that um so you know but i'm sure that's not how nintendo intended for zelda to be played so equally in that regard it would be good to have an easy mode for people to play in the way they want to play as well now let's talk about the development process a little bit how did you find the the switch to develop for was was it easy were there some challenges yeah i mean all systems are have their challenges and have their um easier elements now obviously the switch uh, is a new machine and we didn't develop for the switch from the ground up uh the game had been in production for about four three three or four years by the point the switch came onto our radar um we'd been working for on the xbox one and ps4 and pc primarily which are a lot more powerful um and there's a lot less restrictions so we had to do a lot of optimization to make the game run on the switch um people often look at a 2d game and think oh it's a it's an old game it's an old school game that should run really easily you know um but it's actually the opposite <laughs> with Wolverblade, as you'll see it's um all high definition uh, really big characters big backgrounds everything's hand-drawn and that requires a phenomenal amount of memory to 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 process all that to hold it to load it in uh, to throw it around to allow us to zoom into it for the cutscenes and zoom out um and that is quite intensive um so yeah a lot of optimization had to be done uh, to make it run smoothly on the switch uh, the guys did amazingly on that. Uh, they really did. Because I mean, when we first put it on there, it just wasn't running um, with the way it was set up for the other systems. So we had to do a lot of optimization, which now it runs really nicely. And um, yeah, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's the main thing is the optimization. Other than that, um, it's, it's pretty much plain sailing, I think. How was uh, Nintendo in terms of uh, helping you get the game on the console? Did you work with them closely at any time? Were they there to help you when, when you had questions? How did, how did that go? Yeah, they've been a dream come true. Uh, and I'm not just saying that. That's uh, We were bowled over by the response and the, the welcoming that we got from Nintendo. Um, we'd put a pitch together of the game uh, to put in front of them. And this was in the early days of the Switch when it wasn't you couldn't just apply to get on the system and um they, they saw the pitch they really liked it and we had a, a great one-to-one -one connection um with uh w with people at nintendo so we had our own contact there uh we then quite luckily were at um pax with the indie uh mega booth and uh, in boston which was back at the end of february beginning of march and um it was a phenomenal response at the show absolutely phenomenal and we were chatting to these two guys um and all of a sudden he pulls out this his business card and it turns out that it was um the chap that we've been speaking to on the phone at nintendo and they were there mm -hmm. kind of undercover uh, scoping out what games they were interested in and it was it was because they weren't in any kind of nintendo outfit they were just in their own clothes uh, so we had no idea who they were until we'd finished chatting and it worked out really well because the, the uh, our stand was crammed with people and they were loving it and the feedback was fantastic and there's a lot of elation around so they could see all that and they were very on board with it um and then we yeah i mean we, we still have the same contacts that we did at the outset and we're still in contact on a very regular basis uh, they've been incredible to work with uh, there's tech help available there's um just help available across the board and they're so friendly to work with and when we were at pax with them um over in seattle 
uh, after we'd been signed up, and this was at the next PAX, which was in September. And uh, while we were there, uh, we were lucky enough to be invited to be part of the uh, the Nindy Arcade, which was an incredible, incredible weekend. And uh, the staff from Nintendo are just unbelievably friendly and unbelievably helpful. And, you know, they could see a couple of times that I was flagging and Evan was flagging at the... Um, at our booth we were really you know the days were quite long and when you've been you know talking and uh, for for nine ten hours um you, you, you kind of get a bit worn out and uh, they kept coming over with like chocolate and water and all sorts just to keep us going which was incredible they really looked after us um yeah yeah they've been fantastic to work with in short <laughs> seems to be consistent with other developers we spoke to so far might go some way into explaining where a lot of the indies are uh, so eager to get their games on the console yeah it's i mean with the other systems uh we've not been lucky enough to have uh any individual contacts so it's more uh like a process you're going through rather than a relationship uh whether with nintendo we feel as though we've got an actual relationship with them because uh we have personal direct contact with individuals and uh, they know us we know them and that personal relationship goes so far it really does it makes life so much easier um but i can understand you know the other systems have been around for uh, quite a bit longer and they've got a lot more games on there and they have a lot more games arriving on a daily basis at the, at the moment so they've probably got so much on the plate that having one-to-one uh relationships is a bit more challenging maybe what's next from fully illustrated in terms of being a development studio obviously i'm not expecting you to do any big exclusive game reveals or anything but are there plans for more Wolverblade support outside of the easy mode or DLC or are you already looking towards your next project um, we would love to keep going on Wolverblade um, and adding to it I mean from the outset we had a whole bunch of side stories uh, because of the, the nature of the story and with its historical tie-ins there's a million different directions we can go off in with the various characters in the game and um I've, I mean, being being the one who comes up with the basis of the story, I just sit there dreaming up little stories and character backgrounds. And to me, the world of Wolverblade is a thousand times deeper than it is to everybody else because I've already envisaged who came from where and who's married to who and who's been to what place and who was involved in what battle. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's just so much more we can add to it. Um, it does come down to finances as far as how uh, or where we go next. Um, it'll be, I mean, we did spend a colossal fortune making Wolverblade and it could be a while, a very long while before the game breaks even. Um, so we'll have to, uh, just see where finances are at, uh, to, to gauge what we're doing next. Exactly. So, um, yes, that's the, that's the pitfalls of being a small indie is, uh, money runs out and with us being on the game for five years, money well and truly ran out. So <laughs> it's, uh, yes, it can be a challenge. Have you played many other games on the Switch? Is there anything that you've you've been enjoying? Any of the majors or other indies that you've been sampling? Or? Yeah, I mean, I um, obviously I mean, I'm going to sound like a, a the usual cliches, really. So, Breath of the Wild was what drew me in originally. Um, and now, of in all honesty, I, I'm not the the last Zelda I'd played and really really enjoyed was uh, Link to the Past on the Super Nintendo. It's not really my genre, um, Zelda. <laughs> so I was skeptical as to whether i'd enjoy this one or not uh, 40 hours later i found out i was enjoying it so um yes i, I love that and then obviously i've picked up odyssey recently um only managed to get about five levels into that but that's that's fantastic uh obviously again barrio kart and um ultra street fighter 2 i picked that up at launch which i love um as far as other indies, uh, Mummy Demastered is the one that's on my radar. Uh, I really, really want to pick that up as soon as I've got a spare second to sit and actually play it. Um, but there is, I think what uh, Nintendo have been doing is fantastic because rather than just open the floodgates and let every game on earth onto the system um, in the early part of this, I'm not sure if they're still doing that now or if that's the plan for the future, but they've been curating what games come on. And I think for the players, that's just amazing. Um, you're not taking a big gamble on what you're buying. You know that what you're buying is going to be of a, of a of a certain quality level. Because I mean, when you look at the reviews of all the games that have been coming out, they've all been, you know, they've all been pretty strong releases. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's there's so many games to buy these days. <laughs> Too many. Yeah, with 
we're struggling to keep up with the just the week-to-week stuff. Like the last couple of weeks alone, there's been like something like thirty indies released, and it's it's just we can't play everything for the podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, but, yeah. That that's kind of reflected um, in a lot of ways. I mean, right back because you hear a lot of stories of um, of Switch games selling you know phenomenal numbers and i think in the in the early days uh that was the case but now with the you know like you say 30 games over the past few weeks you know it's 10 or 15 games a week now it's um they're all really good so it's it's really hard it, there's so it's really hard for people to choose i think uh because they're, they're spoiled for choice it's um it's it's a great it's a great thing for players it really is it's uh, it's tougher for developers because it means competition's a lot stiffer <laughs> um <laughs> But it's uh, yeah, it, that's exactly what a system should be. I think uh, uh, when you get to the, the like the situation that Steam's in, where it's uh, what, what are they at now? They're at something crazy. Like is it hundred thousand games or something? I, I'm I, I'm terrible with remembering statistics, um, but it's a sea of games, and you know there's a lot of magical, high quality, you know. Um, works of art in there, but there's also a lot of drivel in there, which just gets dumped in. Um, hoping to make a quick book um so i'm i'm really impressed with how nintendo are, are dealing with this at the moment because i'm i'm a hundred percent confident they've got millions of people banging on their door trying to get the games on the system thank you so much for joining us michael no thanks for having me <laughs> much appreciated and uh wish you good luck with the continued sale of of wolverblade uh, like i say i really enjoyed it it's available now on the eShop. So check that out if that that sounds like something you're interested in. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been nice to be on and uh, it's great speaking to you. Thank you very much and uh, thanks for listening. And thanks again for Michael for giving his time to talk to us there. Uh, now, lastly, um, I we got one last discussion topic. I just wanted to know what you guys thought of. Amiibo, because it's, it's not something we've discussed on the show, because it's not strictly a Switch-related thing. And when they were first announced, I thought the whole thing was just dumb as hell. And I was like, okay, well, I, lo- I love Zelda, so I'd love some Zelda statues in my life, so I'll just get the Zelda ones. And then, you know, it couldn't hurt to get some of the Mario ones too, because, you know, I like Mario. Before <laughs> I knew it, I had the Wii Fit trainer, I had the Game & Watch dude, and pretty much everything. I'm still far off having a complete Fire Emblem set because I want to complete that one too. And here's the thing, right? I don't generally buy them for what they do in terms of games. I buy them because they're cool little statues of things I like and they're good quality for decent prices. And if they do anything that's useful, that's completely a bonus. I dropped off a little recently. I wasn't going to buy the Mario Wedding ones because, again, I thought they looked really dumb. I ended up wanting the costumes, so I bought them anyway. Uh, so, so, yeah, so what do you guys... What are your thoughts on Amiibo? Do you have any? Are you collecting? What's the deal? Um, I am probably addicted to Amiibos. <laughs> um, just going to be frank. Um, um, in terms of giving you guys an indication of what that actually means, I once traveled to Singapore to visit family over Christmas and I came back with a whole extra suitcase full of Animal Crossing Amiibos. <laughs> so it's pretty bad. Um... For me, I mean, it kind of started the way you described, Andy. I was like, oh, I like Animal Crossing. You know, there are these new cards and these amiibos out. I'll just get the ones of my favorite characters because I like the franchise. So I did that. And then, you know, you just start hungering for more. So then I was like, oh, I don't really like these animals. But I'll get them to complete my Animal Crossing set, you know, because that, that made sense to me. Um, and then after that, when Breath of the Wild came out, I was like, oh, you know, that looks really good. And I was really a big fan of Epona. I was really into horses growing up, and I was like, well, I can't get a Pona in-game without buying the Amiibo, so I guess I better buy the Amiibo. And then after that, I was like, I've got one already, I'll just collect some more, and so the story goes. Um, at this point, I've got a crap ton of Animal Crossing ones, I've got the Breath of the Wild ones, I haven't got the Mario ones, but I do have Splatoon ones. And for the Splatoon ones, I was like, you know what? They're a good purchase because you can save weapon builds on them. Even though I never go to tournaments, I will never have to use my, a new weapon build somewhere else. It's just I've come up with all these reasons to rationalize my amiibo <laughs> purchase. So I am deep into the amiibo hole, just like you, Andy. And um, partly because they look so good. Like, I agree with you 100%. They're just really great things to have on a mantelpiece. They're well designed. And also, especially if you're collecting ones that are 
your favorite characters from the games like I was with Animal Crossing. It's just so nice kind of having them there. So I like them. Um, I'll never stop buying them probably. Um, if the quality stays the same, you know, definitely all out amiibo all the way. I have like a dozen amiibo, I think. I haven't counted them in a while, but it's close to a dozen. And I don't know why. <laughs> I bought the Link amiibo on launch day just out of morbid curiosity, just to see what these things were, to see if they were worth putting any time and money into collecting them and. They launched alongside Smash Brothers, so I used Link in Smash Brothers, and all it really seemed to do was permanently take up a character slot in Smash Brothers with a Link computer-controlled opponent, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to fight a variety of enemies, not just Link over and over and over again, so I barely <laughs> used it. And since then, all the amiibo I've gotten have been gifts and impulse purchases. I got one... I got the Inkling Girl amiibo alongside Splatoon because they offered it and I didn't say no. Uh, <laughs> I had a moment of weakness. Uh, <laughs> I got a Mewtwo amiibo as a Secret Santa gift. I've got a Toad amiibo and a Wooly Yoshi amiibo. I've gotten all those pack-ins. Uh, the only amiibo I've purchased with any intention of actually doing something with it was Ganondorf for accessing the double damage mode in Twilight Princess HD. All the other ones I've got have been impulse purchases because I don't know what these things are good for and I don't know why I have them. The last ones I bought were a bunch of the Breath of the Wild ones because I had a Best Buy gift card from Christmas and I wanted to spend it. So I went on Switch launch day and I bought a bunch of the Amiibo they had sitting out there and I've used them for nothing I, I I don't understand the fascination with these things I don't even understand why I own them <laughs> I am I am in utter despair over these things taking up half a shelf in my room and then I'll get other people who have entire walls of amiibo and I'm like mm. what does this mean uh, I have a confession go ahead What? I bought five cloud amiibos why? You are part of hear the problem. H hear me out. I, oh, I have God. solid reasons. You have okay. a problem, sir. <laughs> I have reasons. I'm sure you do, and the first step is admitting you have a problem. I'm sorry, so Leo I'm Plop. Huge... I'm, getting, I'm getting very emotional here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a huge Final Fantasy VII fan. Me too. Yes. Uh, me too. So, 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 yeah. so obviously I need both costume variants, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but then, like, I want them out in the living room where I'm playing my games, okay? Okay. In my home office where I record right now, I have a Final Fantasy shelf thing happening. Right. So I needed both for that as well. <laughs> and when I'm at my soul-destroying, soul-sucking job, I want happy things to remind me of happier places, so yep. I have a Cloud Amiibo on my desk as well. I see uh, That's like a hundred dollars just to have little cloud statues everywhere. And it was worth every penny. <laughs> Why can't you just have a desktop wallpaper? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting to sound a little judgmental here, but I'm, I'm being theatrically over the top. I don't, I don't understand amiibo, but if that's what you're into, go for it. I also have three Rios. You have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've not bought duplicates of any amiibo yet intentionally. Um, so when I get to that stage, I'll inform you all and Andrew will um, make sure that I snap back to my senses, hopefully. 10-step program. Oh, uh, gosh. I was briefly, very tempted, very briefly, to buy all the Zelda ones because I am a huge Zelda fan. But yeah, I just... I never did it because I just... I get nothing out of these but that that's me fair enough fair enough okay so what are you guys playing in this coming week Eleanor baby sorry yeah just Eleanor just all the way <laughs> all the time <laughs> just as much as possible I loved it and I mean we had a long session about this I think the first time we brought it up on the show 
Everyone knows I love this. I'm just going to play it till the cows come home. What are you playing, Andy? Uh, I'm going to finish Doom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start L.A. Noir, but I'm probably going to shelve it briefly just to play a bit of Skyrim. Yeah, I think that's everyone's plan this week. The Switch has had a great year so far. November 14th is D-Day. Everything is coming out November 14th. So I'm playing, uh, I'm going to attempt to play, uh, L.A. Noir. It'll do to Rhyme, uh, Switch Rim, and Doom <laughs> all in the spaces yeah. of a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. I am going to be recording the next podcast Saturday night, local time, uh, sleep deprived and slightly crazed. So you have that to look forward to. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So that's it for this week, everyone. Um, Thanks so much for listening to our episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this recent episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed, especially since we had all our um, ratings and reviews get wiped after um, last week. Um, You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. And we also have a YouTube channel, which Andy and Andrew mainly contribute to, where we upload the first hour of many of the games that we talk about on the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at SwitchFocusPod, um, YouTube, Facebook, and at SwitchFocusPodcast.com for updates, news, and other content that we will put out during the week. You can also follow us individually. Um, Andy is at Flame Rose Toast, Andrew is at Play Critically, and I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. And I also reviewed Cat Quest, but for the PC, which you can check out if you want to just know a little bit more about what, you, what you're going to get into if you want to buy the game on the Switch. We'll put a link in the show notes, so be sure to visit our site after. Thanks for listening again. Bye.